Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, June 7th. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Sarah, Stacy, and Natalie, and we are here to talk about the apocalypse, because what better to talk about on a sunny June evening than zombies, death, destruction, plagues. yes, <laughs> super flu, mm -hmm. the bird flu, perhaps, <laughs> Ooh. So we are going to share some of our favorite um, apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic novels. But before we do that, I have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, you can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group where you can interact with us as well as with other podcast listeners. If you enjoy spending time on Twitter, you can also follow us over there at bistro underscore book. And if you would just really like to send us an email, you can do that too. And that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right. So... First up, we are recording on a new platform this evening. This will be the first episode recorded this way. So we're hoping that things go smoothly. If there are any audio weirdnesses, um, we do ask that you bear with us as we try to figure this out. So Stacy is going to start us off, followed by Natalie, Sarah, and then I will end the round. And we'll do that twice. And then we'll change things up a little bit so that the twins can jointly talk about um, two trilogies that relate to each other. But we mustn't get too ahead of ourselves. So Stacy, are you ready to tell us about your first bookity? I'm so ready to talk about my first bookity. I can't even wait. So I come to you tonight with the post-apocalyptic plague voice, otherwise <laughs> known. Thank you for that today, Natalie. I really appreciate that um, quote. But it's otherwise known yep. as the most horrible summer cold ever. Sorry. I kind of wish we had recorded it um, like yesterday or on Wednesday. Oh, I know. much worse then. I had this really sexy, raspy voice that was like three octaves lower than my typical voice. And you sounded uh, like you had a clothespin on your nose. I totally did. Yes. You know, thanks. <laughs> you know, when, when Sarah, she's just giving me all the love today. But what she's not telling you is, I got I started this. it. I shared it. That's I right. confess. And I actually had to, one of the books I'm reading is about an illness um, that led to the apocalypse. I had to put that down for a few days until I knew that I was going to survive. But we're not going to talk about that book first. <laughs> no, let's not. So I have to set the scene with this book. So I have to tell you that I, I never thought of myself as someone who enjoyed post-apocalyptic fiction. It just wasn't at all in my wheelhouse. I'm a very much hardcore romance genre person. Um, and for years, I never deviated from that genre. And I was visiting my parents um, 
And my just graduated from college age brother was home as well. And one night I was reading a book in my bed at their house. And as younger brothers do, he annoyingly burst into my room without knocking and flung his annoying self down on my bed, bouncing the whole thing. I mean, you can totally picture this, right? Any of you that have totally, yes. And he said, I will not leave this room until you let me read you the first chapter of this book. And I was like, oh, Alex, like, please, I just, I don't really care about any of your stupid books. Like, I don't want to read whatever you think I would like, because I won't (laughs) like it. And, and, you know, but finally, there just comes a point when it's easier just to give in and let this thing happen, just to get the sibling out of your damn room so you can get back to the book you really want to read, right? So (laughs) finally, I'm like, with, with poor Grace, I'm like, fine, fine, just read it. So I flop back and he starts reading me this diary, like this journal entry. And that's like right after Christmas time. And this guy's writing about, you know, hanging out at his parents for Christmas. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, who cares? And then all of a sudden he's writing about how he's, he's going back home to his home in Texas. And, you know, there's um, some stuff about a, a flu epidemic in Asia. I'm like, why do we care? And then, <laughs> By that point, though, I was already sucked in like two pages in and I was trying to look like pissed off still so he wouldn't know. (laughs) And that night, now I'm going to tell you about the book here in just a second, but I have to tell you that night we sat up until probably four in the morning and he probably read me a good half of that book because I wouldn't let him stop. It was so freaking good. So my gateway to the post-apocalyptic genre was Day by Day Armageddon by J.L. Bourne. And this book is so amazing. If you haven't read it, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, It's about a a nameless um, narrator who writes these journal entries, basically um, chronicling the fall of the world to a zombie plague um, and just how he's able to survive the ending of the world and how, you know, he and a band of, you know, a couple of survivors kind of band together and, start going off on all these adventures, but um, there's, there's four books in the series, but the first one is called day by day Armageddon. And it's not a super long read, but it is intense. And it is still my favorite book about the apocalypse because it was the first. And um, I just, I don't want to give too much away about it. I'm just going to tell you it's pretty terrifying. Sarah, have you ever um, been able to read it yet? I have not, but I've read parts of it with you guys in the car. Well, you really should read it because it is like the best thing ever. And if you're in your apocalyptic mood right now, you have to. I'm read totally in. A, I just, yeah. I can't get enough apocalypse books. You might scream out loud a few times. Any of you oh, who read it, but I'm it's really well done. It's just, it's really great. And the thing that I found very interesting um, kind of sidebar here is that um, the author, JL Bourne was um, um, on active duty. Is that how you say that? Over in, it was either Afghanistan or Iraq when he was writing this book. And I sort of feel like it was like an escape um, type thing. And now he's written a couple other um, kind of post-apocalyptic series. But the original is Day by Day Armageddon. And again, the author is J.L. Bourne. And um, I really encourage you to pick this up and read it. It's amazing. And I'm not doing it justice because I don't want to give too much of it away. Are they all? Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go first. Are Are they they all? all told in that like kind of unnamed narrator like journal style or do we ever know who it is that we're following actually we never know his name 
um, for the whole series. But um, one of the books, there is some deviation from the journal entries in it because it um, focuses on some other characters. That um, ah. Hourglass is the third book. Okay. Um, but I think it's called Shattered Hourglass. But um, but the majority of the book is told in that way. And it's very personal because he'll write his thoughts down and everything. Um, he's not super objective and, you know, very factual. He can be pretty emotional in these entries, but he just never put his name out there. Um, okay. And I don't know, like, it, it, it sounds like nothing that, I, I mean, does that sound like a book that I would usually read? No. 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 No, but it was so, so, so good. So Stacey is the, is the unnamed writer of the book. And I, I don't want to give it away if I don't, I'm not supposed to know, but isn't he like in the military? Yes. He's in the military. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he has a lot of knowledge going into the ending of the world and some, you know, um, weapons training and um, he's a pilot, um, military pilot. So he kind of has some advantages, I think. It sounds creepy and good. It's creepy and good. I think that's the name of the episode. Like, we always have the option of, like, naming the episode. Mm-hmm. And maybe I will name it Creepy the Good. Yes. <laughs> and good. <laughs> okay. Well, I, too, am quite surprised that I enjoy post-apocalyptic fiction which I often don't know how to spell that word, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> you don't have to spell it right now. You just have no. to say it. It's much better. <laughs> um, for the same reason. It's just not my usual type of reading. But I think one of the things that really compels me, that I find very compelling about this genre, is the fact that there are so many believable elements sometimes. Like, obviously, there are far-fetched aspects to many of these plots too but like zombies yes <laughs> but then like certain certain aspects for some of the books i'm talking about tonight certain aspects are not that far-fetched like the the things you can kind of imagine that what would happen to humanity if they were kind of brought to this point of needing to survive and i don't know like like the desperation it, and yeah the desperation yeah. and and kind of like the ingenuity you will go to to survive and and how what you consider to be right and wrong does that change when you know you're just trying to survive and there's just nothing but doom and destruction around you it's i find it very compelling to just the progression of characters as well yeah in those situations and the interactions and and also i find in a lot of these storylines people are a lot more, the characters are a lot more blunt and, and um, forthcoming, like in terms of what saying things that they otherwise would think because they're in such dire circumstances that they can't be as people, angsty as they usually exactly, would be because true. they could die tomorrow. Exactly. So I find that really interesting. Um, so the first book I'm going to talk about is the poisoned princess? Yay! So good. Cole. Yes, and it is the first of a series. I'm going to be talking about the first book because I don't know. I don't want to give away too much. So this is technically a young adult novel or series, um, but I would say it's more for like older 
Yes. Young adults. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any like 13 year old, <laughs> uh, no. 13 year olds <laughs> reading this at all. Poison Princess by Cressy Cole. So let me set the stage. So imagine you're living in this post-apocalyptic world where everyone has died a gruesome death. <laughs> Not everyone. Imagine. Many people. And the ones who have survived, many of them are insane, so you don't really know who to trust. So for most people in such a situation, going to a stranger's house, especially if that person is very questionable in terms of their um, insanity, is not the best survival tactic. But this is how this series begins. You have this mysterious girl named Evie, who we do not yet know, and she shows up on the doorstep of this clearly very crazy alchemist character named Arthur, I think. Arthur. Yes, Arthur. And we, we come to learn very quickly that this guy is totally nuts and he's um, keeping these children and teenagers prisoner in his pris as prisoners in his basement and torturing oh. them. And he invites Evie in under the guise of like kindness and he offers her food and drink and compels her to tell her story, which she then does. So basically, Evie is the protagonist of this story and she starts off living a very privileged, happy life. She's upper, from an upper class family and she has a carefree boyfriend and a pretty uncomplicated life until she starts having these hallucinations. And these hallucinations are really terrifying and creepy and about death and destruction and everything being destroyed and these really... Um, creepy characters that she doesn't know, in including what she believes to be Death or the Grim Reaper, which we don't actually learn a lot about in book one. But he's Oh, he's kind of sexy, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's very alluring. Yes, I was going to say. He's an alluring character, shall we say. Um, and she, so her mother sends her to an insane asylum, or not an insane asylum, a... Um, <laughs> Not an insane asylum, like Mental. institution. Mm -hmm. There are better words for that. This <laughs> a yes. mental hospital, or perhaps a yes. psychiatric facility. Yes, for her <laughs> yes. exactly. Um, and so, and and I should say that it's believed that mental illness runs in her family because her grandmother also had these hallucinations, and Evie's mother, because of this forbid her from talking to her grandmother ultimately because her grandmother when, when Evie was very young was telling her to that she would grow up to eventually have to kill all these other children um, oh. so, so anyway so she comes back from this institution and none of her peers know, her, know that that's where she's been and um, she eventually for reasons I won't get into discovers that her hallucinations are actually visions of the future. And lo and behold, the apocalypse occurs. <laughs> and um, it is as the apocalypse tends to be. And many people die, and some don't. And um, Evie survives. And before the apocalypse, she meets um, a character named uh, Jack DeVoe. Jack. 
Yeah, and he's this kind of like bad boy teenager, kind of mysterious. You don't know a lot about him in the in the beginning. And they have a, their relationship is like very rife with like misunderstandings and arguments and angsty stuff. Um, but Jack really wants to know Evie's secrets, and Evie's trying to figure out what role she's playing in this apocalypse because she has visions of this boy that she doesn't know who's trying to reach her and get a hold of her and tell her that she's playing this role in this ultimate battle of good and evil. And so the story basically is about Jack and Evie and a host of other characters that they meet along the way um, as she tries to figure out what role she plays in this apocalypse that's happening. And without giving too much away, um, the premise is kind of based on a set of tarot cards and there are 22 cards and each, um, there are 22 um, young people who have been selected to represent these cards and Ooh. who have powers or, or abilities associated with these cards and that will play some kind of role in the ultimate battle between good and evil and it's related to this apocalypse. But Evie, Evie plays a specific role in all of this that I can't really talk about, but you will discover as you read. Um, and so it, it's, it's, you know, it has all the typical apocalyptic elements that we know and love. Um, but what I really liked about um, the story um, especially in book one, is that I found it to be very different. Like, it's not really a plot line um, that I've seen before, like with the tarot cards. And it's a very different take on the apocalypse. And I thought it was very well done. And I should say that at the end of book one, there's a really neat twist. Because if you remember, all of this story is told from the perspective of Evie and what Evie is telling Arthur, uh, Arthur at the beginning of the book. So we only hear what she decides to tell Arthur. Oh. And at the, at the end of the, the book, that becomes really interesting, uh, interesting twist to that. So um, it's, it's really good. I like it a lot. I don't know if Sarah and Stacy have read. I I've read it. I think yeah. Stacy's read two. the first one. Um, so yeah, what did, did you don't guys think? Call don't they call the apocalypse the flash? Yes. Yes. It's the flash. Yeah. Um, I don't like a lot of young adult books as everybody knows. And Stacy probably will say the same thing. Um, I really liked the poison princess. I thought it was very interesting. I liked the characters. It wasn't too angsty. I feel like later in the series, it gets really angsty, but I yeah, really, really yeah. liked, I liked I think, the first book a lot. Yeah. There are I did too. The elements in the first one too a little bit yeah but not as but much not as, as bad not as much. but i have to say you know i to me i i mean i am one of the most anti-young adult you know but i i've i've been an avid cressley cole fan for a long time and so when me i saw too. that she wrote this and frankly and i don't know how to say this but i i feel like i love her like her romances and everything but i feel like she has a really amazing voice for this oh, yeah. genre and yeah she's yeah. very compelling and I you know it's not often that I can sort of enjoy reading about a 15 year old girl and mm -hmm. Evie overall is very smart and very um she can think on her feet and she's not yes. always right but you know I, I just I thought there was a lot of action there wasn't a lot of downtime 
I thought this was a really tightly plotted, well-paced first book in a series. I love it And I felt so that it was very teenager real realistic. Yes, yeah, it I was. Did, yep. <clears throat> I feel like because, a lot of teenager yeah. books, they are like, so adult and I'm like that's Mm -hmm. not mm, mm, no yeah no her reactions are very age appropriate especially with in the beginning first book yeah yeah and they have those creepy people they call the bag men the bag yeah those are like the zombies zombies. they're kind of Shannon have you not read this I have not oh I was just gonna say can I read this like now yes you should you would really like it especially because you do like young adults so. I do. And it's I read by Marguerite Gavin, and she's very good. Ooh, okay. Yeah, if you read it on audio. And just yep. everything about it. And I have to be honest it and say, I, um, because I've, I've read reviews about cliffhangers, um, I've kind of put the series aside for a while because I hate cliffhanger endings. Um, but I do plan to come back to it and continue reading. So the book I'm talking about is called The Last Tribe, and it's by Brad Manuel. And the interesting thing about this book, and I'm going to get into the plot in a second, but the interesting thing is I feel like just like every other genre of books, in apocalyptic stories, there's always kind of a formula. So like they get comfortable and then the bad people come or the zombies come and take their, you know, very delicate balance and they, they, all the things that they've just managed to build back up and, or, you know, there's always something like bad that happens. And in the last tribe, I really liked it because there really wasn't any of that. Um, It starts off in the very beginning. Basically the whole world gets wiped out by the super flu that they call the rapture. And they call it the rapture because at the end of the, um, at the end, when you're dying, like the last stage of this flu, you're like euphoric and joyful. So, I mean, it's a terrible way to die, but because everybody dies, but you just die. You're not a zombie. You're not anything. So most of the world is wiped out. And in the beginning, the government and a lot of people are going around like to everyone's houses, like trying to test people, trying to determine if you're ill if you're healthy, they want to take you away and like experiment on you and try to use you to get a cure. So there's a family, uh, yes, there's a family of brothers who none of them come down with this super flu. And um, they make a pact. So they're going to meet in Maine, like in the spring. So then it goes into the stories of all these brothers and the people they have left and how they make it to Maine to meet up and how a couple people um, add a couple more survivors to their group as they all come together to figure out how to live in a world where basically everybody has died. So it is the apocalypse and it is like the, the beginning is horrible because everybody dies, but there are no zombies like wandering the world. It's just everybody's dead. And you keep waiting for like the supervillains to come in or something to happen. But really the book is not about that. The book is about what happens when everybody you know and everybody you love is gone. And, you know, there's no government. There's no nothing. And everything's like destabilized. How do you come back from that? And how do you pick up the pieces of your life 
in a world where basically everybody is gone, but this small group of people, how do you, how do you, how do you survive? And like my brother and my sister and actually my bestie read this book also. And I were all saying, it's like the book where there's never like any drama, but you can't put it down. Would you agree with that Stace? Oh, I, I just, it makes me laugh because I usually like more attention and more whatever, but yes. it's all about how to survive and thrive in a world that has died and how do you go on and how do you rebuild? And it was one of the most enjoyable books I've ever read. I do feel like um, the author sometimes, the thing that annoyed me a bit, he does kind of overstate things. Like he'll sometimes tell instead of show. Um, I, I noticed that sometimes, but you know, it did not for me detract from the reading at all. Like I, I just, I couldn't put it down. It was just very, just to figure out how all these people were going to survive and figure out how to continue on. And how to get, and how to get to, yeah, when 99.9% of the world is dead, yeah. how do you survive? But how do you also get to a place where you can rebuild? Like a place where you can grow your find own community and, and find yep. community and develop this stuff. And I feel like the author did a really good job, but what I um, wish had happened at the end you know, like where their community is going to be, but I feel like he left it way open for a second book, but then did not write a second book. So we that keep we know hoping. Yet. Yes. I mean, my brother and I were talking about this last week also, and we were hoping, you know, that there's going to be a second book. I have not seen anything about it. That doesn't mean it's not there somewhere, but um, it, it's wrapped up with the people that you come to like, the people care that you about. come to really care about, you know what happens to them, but he leaves enough of it open that he could have written a second book if he would have wanted to. So again, this book is really worth the read. It's called The Last Tribe, and it's by Brad Munwell. It's really good. Please read it. I will read it. So my first pick is also a young adult series. This is the Darkest Mind series by Alexandra Bracken. So our main character is a teenage girl named Ruby, and she's 16 at the time that we meet her. But what it's really important to know is that six years ago, when she was 10, something really, really bad happened. And it caused Ruby's parents to lock her in their garage. Oh, my God. And call ah. the police and have her taken away. And this is not uncommon. Apparently, a terrible kind of plague hit and killed most of the world's children. Oh, no. But, but the children who survived are changed. They now have these abilities that no one seems to really understand. And some of these abilities are dangerous, and some are just sort of odd. So Ruby is one of the children whose ability is deemed dangerous. And so she is taken off to this kind of detention center where they are trying to figure out how to get rid of these abilities. She's been there now for six years. And she has never really fully known the truth about what's happening to her, like what her abilities are. She just knows that she's able to do kind of bad things and that this has caused a lot of negative things to happen to her. But she does learn the truth eventually. And when she does, this prompts her to escape 
from the detention center. She feels like if she has to stay there, she will not survive. So she escapes, and now she is kind of on the run in search of a place called East River. And East River is kind of like this, this mecca, this haven for the world's young people who have these abilities because it's run for them by them. And it's kind of the only place where people aren't, you know, trying to get rid of these abilities. So Ruby is trying to find her way to East River, but it's very hard to do that because they keep its location a very closely guarded secret, obviously. So she teams up with a team of other survivors and they go in search of East River. But once they find it, they realize that it might not be quite the haven that they were hoping for. Oh dear. Yes. So this goes on. There are four books in the series. The first three are told from Ruby's perspective. And then we move to The Darkest Legacy, which is told from the perspective of another um, girl that we come to know who is very close to Ruby. And this is... They're pretty long for young adult novels. You know, they're not like super quick reads, but they're so, so compelling. There is a fantastic sense of urgency woven throughout this series. I love the sense of found family that occurs um, throughout, you know, this, this group of survivors and how they really develop loyalty and deep caring for one another. Um, there is a really, really nice developing romance that moves throughout the first few books in the series. So I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. There are also a bunch of novellas. If you are someone who reads novellas, I really don't, um, unless they're kind of essential to understand the story. So there are four full-length novels, and I think there are six or seven um, novellas that go into this body of work. So this, again, is the Darkest Mind series. The first book is called The Darkest Mind, and it is by Alexandra Bracken, and I love it so, 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 so much. So I'm I'm feeling some anxiety about even trying to discuss this next book because I actually um, I was actually going to talk about The Last Tribe and I thought to myself, I cannot talk about a book about Superflu and not talk about The Stand by Stephen King. But in an audio format, um, it's 47 hours and some minutes. <laughs> no, and, that's long. Uh, it's yeah. very long, yes. And, you know, I... I I'm not going to be able to do it justice. So I'm just going to give you a very bare bones sketch of it and say that, um, you know, I feel like the stand is like the, I don't know. It's like, to me, it's like the, the, the grandfather of all, you know, apocalyptic books. Um, I'm sure there were other books written before it, but it's quite epic. So basically it's about a super flu that destroys the world. Um, basically it's, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a flu um, that was kept by the United States um, and it gets loose into the world. And basically, whenever your body builds up um, like antibodies to it, it changes course and, and causes you know, other things to happen until basically it killed off the majority of the world. Um, cool. And then once the majority of the world has died, um, the survivors start having all of these really intense dreams of good and evil. 
And did you just say evil? Of course did. I did. <laughs> I never say evil. You have to say good and evil because it makes it more dramatic. But they have dreams both of good and, and of evil. And um, so some of the survivors are drawn to the good and some are drawn to the side of evil. And this whole book is like an epic battle of what happens when, um, you know, the survivors of this pandemic, you know, how do they go on in this world that is sort of um, being manipulated by the forces of good and the forces of evil and who is going to win. And it comes down to this epic moment. And um, a lot of it is um, very character driven. We learn a lot about different characters. Um, we get very attached to different characters who then die throughout the book. Um, Stephen King is not for the faint of heart, but what I love about this book is he spends a lot of time dealing with the fallout of the end of the world and the, the histrionics and the panic and the terror and the desperation and all the things that happen as the world is ending and how, you know, the government desperately tries to downplay the state of everything until they no longer can. And so even though I enjoyed the rest of the book, I'd say the first half that dealt more with the ending of the world um, and, and kind of getting to know the characters and how they survived this, that was my favorite part of the book. And, you know, some characters that you grow to really enjoy end up, um, you know, maybe going toward the side of evil and some that you think might be weak really surprise you in the end. And it's just a really epic read. <coughs> <coughs> as I cough in the middle of my super flu discussion. Um, the it's flu really, is coming. The flu is coming, <laughs> yes. But it's an epic read that I don't know how to really describe, except for that it basically chronicles the end of the world and what happens after with the survivors. And it's just this epic struggle between good and evil and what's going to um, triumph. So, again, that's a stand by Stephen King. So I am both really excited and nervous to talk about my next book because <laughs> it's it's such a complex plot and I don't think anyone else um on the podcast today has read this mortal coil no by Emily no Sivata, but no. I strongly recommend it and in fact I think the twins would like it as well oh um it's so complex and so well-developed that I'm sure I won't do it justice, but I'm going to try to at least entice people enough to try it out because it's amazing. This is a debut author, um, and it's post-apocalyptic. Technically, it's young adult, but kind of like the previous book I talked about, not really for younger readers, but it has sci-fi elements. <laughs> the thing is that I hate science fiction. Um, and so I thought I would Ooh. like this book. Um, because usually when I think of sci-fi, I think of like aliens and like just oh, stuff that... I like, like sci-fi. I, I don't usually, but I loved, I loved this series. Um, so I'll try to set it up. So the books take place in this future world where gene hacking is a thing. So basically, everyone is born, um, soon after they're born, they're, they have this panel implanted within them, which grows in your body, and you can download apps to alter your genes. Ooh. So you wow. can change your physical appearance. You can change your physical abilities. 
you can cure chronic illnesses. And there, there's a range of things that are ethically, like depending on who in this world you kind of would ask on what you ethically should be doing with this advanced technology. Like there are fringe parts of the society that, you know, um, alter their genes to incorporate kind of like animalistic features. Um, and Ooh, others could I that, transform into a cat? You totally could. Mm-hmm. Um, others use it for the majority of people use it more for, you know, altering your physical appearance and your personality and things like that. Um, I thought this was so compelling because when you think about like today and technology and like artificial intelligence, it doesn't seem that far fetched. Like when you think about it, like (laughs) if you think about like hundreds of years in the future, we're kind of headed in this crazy direction. Like it seemed somewhat believable. Like how far would you take technology and what will it do to your society if it kind of overtakes everything? And so so there's this mega corporation that's basically run by the government and they sell these propri- proprietary apps um, that you can use to alter yourself. But then there's a bunch of people who also um, develop their own that are kind of like non-standard apps. And when the story begins, there's this horrible pandemic that is raging throughout the world. And it's this virus that's resistant to vaccines. And that seems to somehow be due to these technology, technological tampering. And it basically attacks your DNA and destroys all your cells until you basically blow up into this red mist. (laughs) It's really creepy. Oh, my God. Blow up. And so that's not bad enough. The only way to temporarily protect yourself is if you eat the flesh of one of these infected people. Ooh. It's really disturbing. Um, When someone is infected and blows up, if you are in the vicinity, then you will likely be infected as well. So hence the apocalypse. And the people who are infected go totally crazy and they would be kind of like the zombies of this society. And the, this, this government organization that develops these apps has hidden millions of people in these underground uh, bunkers to, to purportedly kind of like protect them, but it's questionable. We won't get into that. But in order to be uh, protected by the government, this organization, you can only use the apps that they install, that they, that they allow the standard apps and not your own. So, 18-year-old Kat is the main protagonist of this story, and she's been told since she was born that she has this condition that makes her allergic to allow from all these kind of like gene-altering applications. And her father is this well-known scientist genius who actually helped develop the panel originally. And he, he tells her that in order to protect her because of her condition, he will install certain apps that are um, necessary for her, like medically necessary, but nothing more. So he's been kind of like protecting her in this way. 
Um, and he's hiding away from the government because they want to hire, they want to force him to develop a vaccine for this virus. But the vaccine would only be given to those people who are in this, these underground bunkers. And he wants it to be a more open source vaccine. And to make a very long story short, eventually the organization, close to the beginning of the book, captures her father and uh, this other uh, young adult kind of assistant that works with him, who's a friend of Kat's, and takes them away. And the story is all about Kat existing in this world along with an another character she meets along the way who was supposedly sent to help her um, discover this vaccine that will, will cure everyone. But along the way, she discovers that there's a lot of things she doesn't know about herself and her identity and how her own genes may have been altered. And it's, I, it's, there's romance. There's a lot of apocalypse. Um, there's, a lot of world building, um, but it's also just compelling because I think it, it, it was so interesting because it raises a lot of questions about how far will we go with like our technological advancements and where do we stop and who's actually in control. And it was so creepy and just really good. I know I'm not doing it justice, but I, it's, it, it's, received so many amazing reviews and I just think this is an amazing new debut author that everybody should know about and the first two books in the series are already out I think it should be a trilogy and I've read the first two books and they're both fantastic um but yeah that's that's this mortal coil by Emily Suvada so I'm going to talk about one of my favorite, most favorite, most beloved authors who I've talked about in many an episode. I'm giving complete props to Shannon because Shannon reminded me that when we were talking about what books we wanted to, to discuss during this episode, she's like, well, um, is anyone going to talk about Mira Grant and the Newsflesh books? And I was like, oh my God, yes, I would love to. So Mira Grant is the... Alter Ego for Seanan McGuire, who I've talked about in many an episode. And she writes a lot of more um, science fiction-y kind of futuristic books. And this book, this series is the Newsflesh series. And the first book is called Feed. And it is about two siblings who were adopted after an uprising of zombies in 2014. So both of them lost their biological families and were adopted by a couple, the Masons. So their names are Sean and Georgia. They're the same age and they're both reporters. So Sean is part of a group of reporters called the Irwins. So he has, the Irwins are more like the people that go out and fight the zombies. They're like, they do crazy stuff. And Georgia is part of the Newsies and the Newsies are the people who are like, report the facts. They find the truth. They find the facts. They report it they're more serious than the Irwins. And <clears throat> Sean and Georgia live in a world, it is like 2039, and their whole life, um, zombies have been a part of their world. So what happened is that um, cancer and the common cold have been eradicated. They're, they're gone. 
um, two virus, two like, um, oh, like, uh, like antidotes. Yeah. Well, yes, but two, like, there were two cures created by two different people whose last names were like Kellis and Amberly. Yes. Um, that eradicated cancer and like the common cold flu type things. And what happened is by complete, um, well, sort of complete accident and not so much accident, these viruses were released into the, well, the one virus was released into the world and it played havoc with the other virus, which caused the zombie uprising. Um, the virus is called Kellis Amberley. And um, what happened is in, in the summer of 2014, basically, um, all these people basically became infected and turned into zombies because um, one of the viruses was released um, intentionally by a group of people that thought they were saving like the common man who wouldn't be able to afford this um, cure. Um, and, and the virus, um, the cure wasn't completely tested. And they used like a, um, a plane. Is it a crop duster? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. To like blow this, this cure like all over the place. And it interacted with another cure and caused the Kellis Amberley virus. And so there are all these zombies. Um, they talk in the book about how this is not the apocalypse. They, they talk a lot about like pre-rising. They call like the summer of 2014, the rising. And they talk about a lot of like pre-rising, like horror movies and stuff like that. Um, they were very aware of zombies. They talk a lot about um, George Lucas. Is that his name? Or George Walk? George? I have no idea. Is it George Lucas? I don't know. The, the, the horror remember. movie guy. Because he donates his body when he dies. He becomes a zombie intentionally so that he can help science. But um, anyway, <clears throat> so they knew right away that um, what was happening. And so they basically... Um, a lot of a lot of people died. A lot of um, havoc happened, but the world. There are still governments. The cities. A lot of cities are still there. Some states, like um, Alaska, is like gone. Um, there are parts of like California that are gone. But if you're living like in a city or like in a community, I mean, you basically have adapted to live a normal life, which means everybody lives in fear. So in order to go anywhere, you have to do a blood test. So like to get on an elevator, you put your hand on this panel and these needles poke you in the hand. And if, if, if you're green lighted, you can, you know, continue. If not, you could be um, covered in a, in a solution called formalin, which will kill you. Um, when you shower, there is a cycle where you um, get bleached to kill any virus on your skin. People live in fear, but the world has still gone on. I mean, we still have like a president of the United States. There's still politics. It's not the apocalypse like a lot of the other books we've read. But in my opinion, and probably Shannon would agree with me, it's still very apocalyptic. So yes. Sean and Georgia are reporting the news. Like this is all they want to do. They're bloggers. And they are there to tell the truth. And they were selected to follow a senator, Senator Ryman on his campaign to become, he wants to run for president. And it's funny, he's running as a Republican, but he's a little more liberal in my opinion. I don't know what Shannon would say, but. Yeah, um, I would say in some ways he is. Yes. And um, 
he is running for president and they want to follow him on his campaign tour, trail, whatever. And um, so there are three books and a lot of novellas in this series, but the books follow Sean and Georgia um, as they begin to learn that um, the CDC is pretty corrupt. There are other things going on in the government. Um, there are some things about Kellis Amberley that um, people in power don't want other people to know um, that they want to keep this, this whole world living in fear because it, it furthers their agenda. Um, the books are great. I feel like the first book feed she does a lot of world building because um, she needs to explain like why things are the way they are and why the world is the way it is. I would highly, highly recommend the series. I reread it um, this week so that I could talk about it for the podcast. And I felt like I was reading it for the first time. It was that exciting. So if you want a good series, I would highly recommend that you pick up the news flesh trilogy. The first book is feed and it's by Mira Grant. How about the Fury Unbound series by Yasmin Ooh. Gallinorin. You like yeah. Yasmin Gallinorin? I love Yasmin Gallinorin. Who knew? I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Everyone knows. It, it's, a, <laughs> it's an open secret. <laughs> so when Yasmin Gallinorin stopped writing for traditional publishing, she decided that she wanted to write a post-apocalyptic series and so she did and this is fury unbound the first book is called fury rising and our main character um is fury her actual name is like kayleen but she's always called fury and she's human but with a twist she's also like a like a minor goddess and she's bound to hecate who is the greek goddess of the crossroads and through her bond with Hecate, she has been tasked with getting rid of these things that are called abominations. And you don't ever fully know like what they are. They're kind of like demons, kind of like zombies. Like they're, they're not, they're no good. They need to be gone. And she has the ability to banish them back like to the realm where they came from. So that is sort of her job, like her uh, like supernatural job. But she also works as at a shop during the day. So her life is, is pretty hectic and it, she kind of leads like two separate lives in her abilities, you know, kind of make, make, that, make that possible. But then the threat of the apocalypse becomes very, very real. Um, apparently some ancient artifacts are stolen from a place where they were kept safe for like thousands of years. And they have the ability to bring about the end of the world as you know, humanity knows it. <laughs> so Fury, Fury and a small group of people have to try to stop this from happening if they can. And if they can't, they then have to figure out like how to rebuild the world um, kind of to their specifications, like with, with the values and the type of society that they want to, to support. So this is kind of an interesting mix of like post-apocalyptic fiction and urban fantasy Ooh. in the sense that you see like shifters 
uh, like one of her closest friends is a hawk shifter. Um, she is also involved with one of the Fae princes. And so we get to see kind of how the Fae world is affected by the things that humanity is doing and kind of like does the apocalypse affect the Fae in the same way that it affects humans. And as Fury is you know, in love with the Prince of the Fae, like where are her alliances and, and how will she decide kind of what is the right thing for her to do? Um, so there are four books in the original Fury Unbound series, and then it stops and she has just started writing a, a, like a second arc in the series. So now we're like several years <clears throat> in the future, um, so several, several years on from like where we last saw Fury at the end of the fourth book. And we're seeing, I guess, how things have progressed and what challenges the world is still facing. And that book is called Fury's Mantle. Um, I have not read it yet because I want there to be kind of more than one book in that second arc before I start to read it because I know there'll be like a big cliffhanger and then I'll be sad. But um, the original four are so, so good. This again is Fury Rising and it's Fury Unbound book one by Yasmin Gallinorn. I do have to say that if you're an audio reader, this is one of her um, indie series and so they're not available in audio um, mm. I got them Darn. through iBooks, um, which is now how I get all of her books. Um, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure. It's cool because, like, the gods and goddesses use, like, modern technology. So they text people. Like, you can get a text from, like, Thor <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, Odin or Hecate. Um, and it's just a very, very cool spin on kind of, you know, the various pantheons of mythology and then the apocalypse and urban fantasy. So now we will change up the order a little bit. So Sarah will tell us about one trilogy and then Stacy will kind of pick up where she leaves off and tell us about the second. Then Natalie will do her last book and I will do mine. So these books are kind of companion books. They're written by the same author. And um, you really can't talk about one without talking about the other. Um, and I have to interject that I read them first. So it's funny that Sarah's talking about the first series first. But I'm not bitter or anything. Anyway. <laughs> well, but we both loved both series We did. Equally, we did. So we, did. we yep. couldn't. It was one of those, like, you couldn't talk about one without talking about the other. Exactly. So we are talking first about um, Until the End of the World by Sarah Lyons Fleming. Yay. Um, this is literally my third read through of this series, and it still feels like I've never read them before. This is an amazing series. It, to me, is like the perfect zombie apocalypse series. And it's romantic. So this... And gory. And gory, yes. But this book is, um, the main character is a woman named Cassie who lives in New York City. And she, um, the first book, Until the End of the World, starts um, on the last day before the apocalypse. And um, there are starting to be news reports of a virus called the Borna LX virus. 
Born of Iris LX. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Born of Iris LX. Sorry. Yes. And, um, it is basically like what you would get as you were turning into a zombie. So joint pain, high fever, um, towards the end, you get quite aggressive towards your caregivers. Um, you can transmit the virus by the sharing of bodily fluids. So basically without saying it, they're saying like, don't let people bite you. And Cassie is kind of like more worried about like having to break up with her current boyfriend because she doesn't like to be mean to people, but she wants to break up with him. And she sucks. But he doesn't really. We can't say guys, really. You haven't read the rest of the You haven't read the rest of the series. Okay, okay, but in yes. the first book, he's like super annoying, and I, I at wanted the to beginning be of the first book, he is very annoying. I can't say much more, or it will ruin the trilogy. <laughs> so she wants to break up with her boyfriend Peter, and she works with a couple of really good friends at this community center. And so they're talking about, okay, how the hell are we going to help Cassie break up with him? Because Cassie like cries at like commercials about kittens and old ladies and she doesn't like to see hungry children or old people it's seriously my favorite line is I cry when I see old people eating alone <laughs> it just makes me laugh but so they're all at work together and they're watching like news clips about this um what is what did you say it was Stacey Bornavirus LX and they're like, oh, that doesn't look very good. But, you know, we're in New York City. It's fine. Um, it's springtime. It's fine. It's They'll springtime. figure it out. Yes. But the interesting thing about this book is that Kathy's parents were actually preppers. Um, they were kind of like cool hippie preppers. They weren't like the creepy preppers. But um, so as all this starts to unfold, as much as Cassie is like, oh, this really isn't that big of a deal, she's also like – oh, this really is a big deal, and wait, I have... Wait, can we pause a second? Yeah. At the beginning of this book, she gets a call from her brother in Phil- or in, the, in, the, in Pennsylvania, yes. Eric, who tells her this is going to be a big deal. We need to meet at the cabin, um, at our parents' cabin upstate New York. So yes. that's at the very beginning of the book. Okay, sorry, continue. So she's watching basically in the span of one day, New York City completely like eroding. And collapsing. And, and she actually, um, with her friends, as she's leaving for the day, sees um, somebody with the virus um, going after someone. Um, the person with the virus chases them down the road. Um, they see um, him and some other people eating someone. Um, it's very traumatic for them. And they're like, holy mackinoli. Well, they don't really say that. But they say, we got to get, <laughs> get out of here. We got to go upstate. And um, <clears throat> they get a phone call from one of her, her best friend's mom, who is a nurse at the hospital, saying basically, hey, I'm trapped at the hospital. Um, I'm using a FEMA guy's phone. He says they're going to blow up the bridges to New York City so that the infected can't leave. So get out. <clears throat> and of course, you know, her friends don't want to leave, but they do because they promised their mom that they're going to. And they get out. Um, with a bunch of um, food because, again, her Cassie's family were preppers, her parents. And so they have all this food that they've now left in the basement of their apartment for Cassie. Her parents have passed away. And um, not from the Borna, not from the Borna virus LX, but just because. 
And um, so they leave and then they see all the bridges get blown up, which is quite a traumatic experience because they know there are all these people in New York City who have not been told that this is going to happen. And all the news are like, oh, stay in your houses. This will be eradicated by Monday. You'll be all right. They get out and all the bridges explode. So they make it upstate New York after some kind of harrowing events. And they start to build a life up there and um, they begin to kind of learn how to regroup and how to live in this new world and how to, um, you know, start growing their own food and how to prep for the winter and how to can. And there are many, many things that happen in this first book. And I do not want to give it away because there are so many things that happen, but um, it's until the end of the world. Um, And it is just amazing. Sarah Lyons Fleming is probably one of my most favorite, favorite, favorite apocalypse authors ever. And um, literally, I have all six of her books on my phone. I read them all twice, and they're going to all be reread again. Because now that I've started, I can't stop. Yep. Stace, what do you think? What do I think about... Sarah Lyons Fleming and the books you're going to talk about. Well, I love Sarah Lyons Fleming. I discovered her by accident when I was looking for something kind of post-apocalyptic. So there's the Until the End of the World trilogy. And then there's the Companion trilogy, the City series. And the first book in that series is called Mordacious. And we're in New York City. There's a young woman. Her name is Sylvie. And her addict mother is dying in a hospital at the very beginning of the book. And, um, not related to the virus. No, she's just dying of, you know, causes related to being an addict. And what happens is, um, her best friend comes to the hospital with her and they get trapped in this hospital that has been overrun by people infected with Bornavirus LX as her mother is dying. And so Sylvie ends up in the basement of the hospital with this woman named Maria, who's a nurse. And Maria is the mother of um, the friends who are in um, the Until the End of the World series. And Maria says, well, when they finally get away from the hospital, she says, um, I have a place we can go. There's going to be food there. It's going to be stocked. To- because nobody can get home. It's like overrun, overrun by the infected. And, and obviously they know all the bridges. They're, they're basically trapped on this island because all the bridges have been blown up. So Sylvie ends up going with Maria and a few other survivors to this home that is actually Cassie's apartment. Now, Eric, who is Cassie's brother from the Until the End of the World, decides that before he goes upstate, he is going to come into New York City to make sure that Cassie got out before the bridges blew. And he ends up um, kind of becoming involved with Sylvie and that group of survivors And this book kind of focuses on the people who are left alive in New York city and how are they going to cope? And there is a band of awful, horrible people who want to take all of the resources that are left for themselves. And so not only are they dealing with zombies, but they're dealing with these awful, horrible people who are trying to eradicate all of the rest of the living so that they can take control of the resources and these books are amazing. So this book is called Mordacious, and it's the first in the City series, which is a companion to the Until the End of the World series. And, you know, if you want to read a really good apocalyptic <clears throat> book, 
Um, you, anything by Sarah Lyons Fleming will fit that bill for you. They're amazing books. We have not even scratched the surface. No, and I don't want to. I don't want to give too we much away. We can't. So um, anything by Sarah Lyons Fleming. But what I recommend is reading the Until the End of the World trilogy first. Yes. And then starting with Mordacious, Peripatia, and Inspiration. Inspiration, which are the three city series that kind of are the companion to that other series. Okay, so I saved, I think, the best of my three books for last. Yes, you oh, did. Yes. <laughs> oh, you totally did. On purpose. <laughs> um, so year one, Yay. Roberts Chronicles, that's the one. This is amazing. Honestly, I don't know where Nora Roberts gets so many ideas, like on a regular basis. I'm not really sure. She publishes so often. It's, it's kind of insane. But um, this is an amazing series. I think everyone else here has read it as well. Yep. Yeah. I've read yeah. year one. I haven't read the second one yet. I haven't so read the third one either. Oh, I'm going to so read them all again so when good. the third one comes out. Yeah. It's so good. Well, the third one so, comes out in November, right, Natalie? Oh, is it November? It's it is. November yeah. or December. I can't it's remember. It's November. I just Ooh, saw it. Okay. Yep. Oh, that's Yay. really exciting. So there's this crazy flu pandemic, and it all starts with this during the holidays with this family, and this guy shoots down a pheasant, and the pheasant, the bird lands in this like cursed circle of rocks or something. And anyway, so he gets really sick, and it's this virus that has no cure. And they're in Scotland when this happens. So when their family when the whole family travels back to the u.s where they're from they of course end up infecting every single person they meet and i really love the way nora roberts kind of like describes how this happens yes Yes. it's it's like so creepy because it's true right like it would happen so quickly if this were the case um and it's kind of like well and then they infected the taxi driver and then the taxi yep. driver went home and infected his sentence and all really... those people on the plane yeah yeah exactly. yeah it's yeah so it's really insane and it so, makes me like not want to fly ever, ever know, again like, i think about right? this stuff when i go to movies Germs. i think about this stuff i do uh-huh. like i was coughing and i'm like oh god i hope i'm not like sharing the super flu you don't have to play <laughs> <laughs> And he and so they get home, and this isn't really a spoiler because it happens in the first few pages. Obviously, this person becomes patient zero and dies, and and so does everyone in his family. But um, within like a few days, like two million people in the world have died from this crazy new virus thing, and um, the government has collapsed. And in this new post-apocalyptic world, um, you have the people who have been infected and die. You have, so there are good and bad people. And you have the people who (coughs) haven't, haven't actually been infected. They appear to be immune from the virus, but we don't really know why. Um, and you have also people who seem to develop these magical abilities. So that in this new world order, you have like fairies and elves and, and sorcerers and all these crazy things. And some of these people had 
magical abilities before, but they kind of magnify afterwards. And some, the magical abilities emerge after this apocalypse happens, flu is introduced. And the story centers around these different groups of people um, who start off on their own stories in the beginning. Um, and I have to say, there, there are lots of characters in, in this story, um, but I love the characters in this, this, this series. It's amazing. Like, I love how different they are and their interactions. My favorite character is probably Fred. Um, but the center primarily, the story primarily centers on this character named uh, Lana and her partner, Max, who find out that they're going to have a baby. Um, and there's this kind of suspicion or feeling that Lana has that her baby is destined to play some kind of role in all of this stuff that's happening. Um, and so the story is about how all of these people are trying to navigate through this crazy world and as they discover whether their loved ones have survived or not and as they try to rebuild after um, all of this has happened. Um, and it's also about this new plot line that emerges with Lana and her baby. And there are lots of different threats as well because the people who are immune from the virus um, have to be very careful because the, the government wants to forcibly take them away to experiment on them to try to figure out why it is that they are immune. Um, and you don't actually know who's good or evil in, in this story, whether they have super magical powers or not. It isn't very clear. Um, and so you don't really know how to, who to trust either. And of course, it's Nora Roberts. So there are lots of like relationship developments and love and things as well. And all of this as well. But I just, it's such a good series. I don't know, Stacey, Sarah. Oh, I love anything these books. To add? I do. So yeah, I feel like. Um, That's Sarah talking. Yeah. My <laughs> opinion isn't always popular. I feel uh -oh. like a lot of – no, no, no. I'm going to say something good. But right. I feel like a lot of Nora Roberts' books are extremely formulaic, especially – that's oh, why yes. I love them. I, yes. Yep. That's yes. not – I do not love them. She did not stick to the mold when she wrote no. these books. No, this is really different. It's no, so like if you are somebody – right. So if you're somebody who thinks you can predict the Nora Roberts formula no. because I'm somebody who can – I could not. I feel like in this series, especially, she spent a lot of time world building and yes. really getting into the hearts and the heads of these characters. And even though romance is important, it wasn't, you know, front and center no. in these books. No, no. Um, and wasn't. it really is about survival and picking up the pieces and, you know, good and evil. And I, I don't know, I was very blown away by year one. And I, it's one of the books that, um, you know, there's just some books in the world that, I read once. I'm like, yeah, that's a really great book. And then there's books like this one where I will read this book again and again, because I really like how she set it up and 
you know, it, it yeah. took enough time for the world to die to make it interesting. And I don't know. Do you, it's really good. Writing. I would yeah. agree with that. Yes. Yeah. So my last pick is the ashes trilogy by Ilsa J. Bick. And this is also a young adult trilogy. Um, it starts out with ashes and the, we follow three different characters, but the main character is Alex. She's 17 and she's living with what she calls a monster in her head. It's a brain oh. tumor. It's an inoperable brain tumor. And so she is really struggling with the idea that at 17, her life is almost over. Like that's not something that you usually have to deal with at 17. No. Um, her parents are, are gone and you don't understand like a lot of like why that is or, or how, but they're, they're not around. She's living with an aunt of hers and she leaves one day. She goes off into this kind of like wilderness trail that spans Wisconsin and Michigan. And she really just wants some time while she's healthy enough to just kind of sit with all of this, to be on her own in nature and kind of, you know, come to terms with the end of her life. So as she's out hiking, she comes across an elderly man who has with him his eight-year-old granddaughter and a dog named Mina. And while she's talking to these people, there is this weird event that is like an electromagnetic pulse. Ooh. And this totally like screws up all the technology like people's phones don't work um alex has you know her her phone with her and she can't use it um ellie who is the granddaughter of this elderly man she has an ipod it doesn't work flashlights that are that have like led displays don't work um so things are are very very messed up and certain people do not survive this electromagnetic pulse. Ooh. Young people survive and some very old people survive, but the majority of people kind of in the middle do not. Like our age. That would be us, yes. Stacey. Yes. Yes. We, we would be dead. Oh. Um, <laughs> so Ellie's grandfather dies. And so Alex kind of reluctantly takes Ellie with her like she doesn't want to she doesn't like little kids she's really just still kind of caught up in her own her own ordeal but she can't live with herself if she just leaves this little girl alone in the woods plus there are people the young people who have survived this pulse are now turning into zombies <gasps> and oh. they are eating people and this is bad. I'm going to stop here for a moment to say that this is one of the most graphic apocalyptic books I've ever read. Oh, I um, love it. Oh, God. Some of it is, like, really hard to read. It talks a lot about, like, intestines coming out of people's bodies. Yep, yep. And, yep. Yeah. Carolina so, Fleming does, too. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you hear a lot of, like, just very graphic um, things there's a lot of very visceral like physical descriptions of things how things taste how things feel um oh it, my it God, could I be can't wait <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> Ken, i love these kinds of books you're like making me like want to do a twirl like Ooh. i'm so excited to read this i can't even tell you so 
Alex and Ellie are, you know, hiking through the woods. They're not really sure what they're going to do. Um, you know, Alex has an idea that if they get to a ranger station, there might be like some kind of help for them, but she doesn't really know that with any degree of certainty because as they continue to walk through the woods, it becomes clearer and clearer that the things have just gone dreadfully wrong. They cross paths with Tom, who is um, a soldier on leave from Afghanistan, and he has also survived this pulse without turning into a zombie. So the three of them form a little group and they decide that their chances are better together than alone. But then very bad things happen and they get separated. Um, and so oh, we no. follow each of them as they try to kind of, we follow mostly Alex and Tom as they try to find each other, but also try to figure out what has happened to Ellie. <gasps> And they... Oh, no, a child alone. I don't know, Shannon. (laughs) And so they are taken, um, you know, they're taken in by different people. But are these people, like, good or bad? Um, And also, will any of them turn into zombies? Um, So there are a lot of kind of far-reaching consequences of this pulse. So I've read the first two books in this series. I had to forcibly stop myself from reading the third because I have other things that I need to read. Um, I don't. No, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) But I do. So I had to, like, I read the first two back to back. And then I had to say, like, no, no, you can't read the third one yet. Um, So I still have it waiting for me. So I don't know how this marvelous, twisty, gross story concludes. (laughs) But this is the Ashes Trilogy by Ilsa J. Bick. It starts with Ashes, and I highly recommend it if you have a strong enough stomach to cope with it. So, yes, let us know um, on Facebook, on Twitter, in an email. Um, Do let us know what you enjoy about the apocalypse and what books you recommend. We are always happy to hear from listeners. Um, I want to say thank you to Natalie, Stacy, and Sarah for talking with me this evening about all kinds of um, deadly things. <laughs> Thanks goes out to Christine, who works harder than I think any of us to make these episodes listenable. Um, if, if I could pay her, I would. I'm sure but it no takes one, a lot of work. Yes. No yeah. One pays us, oh, for so sure. We can't pay anyone. But <laughs> if I could, I would. We pay her with accolades and love. It's true. We do. We do. And I, of course, want to thank all of you who have joined us for the Book Bistro journey. We are almost a year old. That's crazy to me. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.